Hello everyone, my name is Reese Garlinski and this is Young History, episode 158 on Morocco. The capitalist country is Rabat. The name Morocco comes from the Amazir word Marrakush, which likely referred to the area that they lived in. The prominence of Marrakush during the period that the Amazir were moving in likely contributed to the adoption of the name Morocco to refer to the broader region that was under Almoravid control. And I'm just going to bounce in some quick facts for you guys, and then we'll get right into the history. The University of Karine in Fez was founded in 859 CE, which makes it the oldest university in the world. 300,000-year-old Homo sapien bones were found in central Morocco, which make this country one of the oldest places human people have inhabited ever. Morocco also has the largest amount of phosphate rock out of any nation in the entire world. It has 15 times more than the second place, which is China, making it one of the largest exports of the nation and biggest parts of the economy. Another thing is that very often the indigenous people of this land are referred to as Berbers, but this is a term that doesn't really do the people justice. The term Berber comes from ancient times and specifically Greece, where the term was used to describe barbarians. The Europeans called the people here barbarians for their nomadic lifestyle and lack of European influence. So, today we refer to the indigenous people here the same way they refer to themselves, which is as the Amazir, which means free people. And that's pretty much all I have for you guys to open this up. I don't want to dilly-dally anymore because there's a lot of history with Morocco. This is another one of those countries that's very significant to this region. People that live here or lived here throughout history affected the region heavily and are a big reason the culture exists. So Morocco is a stunning, stunning country and has a history of boot as well. So I don't want to dilly-dally, don't want to waste your time, and I do want to get right into this. So just wanted to say once again thank you guys so much for being here. It means a lot that you guys listen to these. Sometimes these countries are pretty obscure, but we're getting to the ones where it's pretty big. So I hope I'm doing these justice, and if I'm not, you can curse me on the comment section. I, do, I deserve it. But nonetheless, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History. And this is Morocco. Hope you guys enjoy. Around 3000 BC, the Amazir people arrived in the Maghreb region. The Maghreb includes all four North African nations, including Mauritania, and is named for its connection to the Arab world through religion. It means West in Arabic because this is the Muslim world west of Egypt. The nomadic Amazir traversed undisturbed areas across the Maghreb region, and that is why they get the name the Free People, which is Amazir, because of the fact that they had this nomadic lifestyle that was unique for the time. We make our first big jump to around 700 BC when the Phoenicians arrived and they started to administer a lot of growth and development out of the city they built in, in Tunisia called Carthage. The Carthaginian Empire replaced the Phoenicians in Carthage around 814 BC. Then the Amazir founded their own kingdom, which was called Mauritania. It was founded around 200 BC, and this is not the same as the Mauritania that is an independent nation today. The Amazir accepted a lot of the teachings and effects from the Carthaginians or Phoenicians, which was an extreme amount of naval superiority and a lot of skill in building boats and traversing the land. That's why we end up with the name of this region being the Barbary Coast, because a lot of the Amazir, which historically have been referred to as Berbers, traveled the region and over the next thousand years, 
or more would actually be very influential in Mediterranean trade because of them acting as pirates. The next major power is Rome, who actually invaded under Emperor Claudius. Rome burned Carthage to the ground during the Punic Wars and established Roman rule. Romans referred to the people of the kingdom as Mar or Mor, which is why the term is so popular today, because you will hear Moorish, the Moors, things of that sort to describe different groups in North Africa. Roman rule brought a lot of change because grain was harvested from North Africa and used to feed the growing Roman population, and there was a lot of introduction of technology, aqueducts, a legal system, and many more things from Rome to this region. Once the city of Rome fell in the 400s CE, the Vandals and the Ostrogoths, which were Germanic peoples, pushed into Italy and then across North Africa to start their influence here. But this would not last too long as the Eastern Roman Byzantines expanded their control across North Africa as part of their move to reconquer Old Rome. The Eastern Roman culture found its way back into Morocco and changed the way arts, architecture, and more systems operated nationwide. Then in the 600s, there was the Umayyad invasion. With the Umayyads came Arabic as a language and the religion of Islam. Because the Umayyads started to spread after Muhammad died, and they did this in hopes to spread the teachings of Islam. And then we have the Berber Revolt, which is the title of it historically. I told you I was going to try and use the term Berber as little as I could, but some events still acknowledges this. That's why there's the Barbary Coast and all that. But the Berber Revolt occurred in 740 to 743 CE. It saw the Amazir overthrow the Umayyads, who had frequently abused them. An Amazir system was put in place, but was not a united front because there was no true state for the people yet. The rule of the Amazir, however, was established by Idris, who was a descendant of Muhammad through his grandson, Hassan. The Idrisids rallied other Amazir tribes to create the first Moroccan identity within this region. The deep individualism of the members made this a loose confederation more than a united Moroccan unit. And that is why it started to fall apart towards the end of the 900s when the Cordoba Caliphate rose in Spain. They started to gain real power around 929. And then until 1031, they expanded across modern Morocco. In the early 1000s, small kingdoms broke away from the caliphate to form the Taifa kingdoms. The Almoravid dynasties from the mountain of Morocco conquered the Taifa kingdoms. The Almoravids took over all of Morocco by 1100 CE. Almoravids built the city of Marrakesh. Almoravid rule was spread across the western coast of Sahara and would be the earliest part of Moroccan people influencing what is today western Sahara. At the Battle of Sagrajas, Moroccans valiantly defended the region from Christian Reconquista attempts. Then there was the Almohad Caliphate. It overthrew the Almoravid powers in 1121. By 1147, the entire region was under Almohad control. The Almohads followed a strict Muslim belief, and because of this, there was a deep connection to the people who were also very religious. The Almohad group continued to move east, and they captured more regions in the north of Africa. Then there was the Marinid Sultanate, which was established in 1244. Much of the land under the greater Almohad control had been lost to previous wars. Then there was our very famous man named Ibn Battuta. Battuta was a Moroccan traveler that had a Marco Polo-esque expedition across the region and parts of the world. He recorded great stories and sights about the places he visited in a book. This book detailed his travels across North Africa, his meetings with Mali... Munsas in the Sahel region, and many other great travels that he had across the area. Later on, there would be the Saidi Sultanate, which was an Arab-led entity that took power in Morocco in 1510. Islam continued to spread under the Sultanate, and it would be under Ahmad al-Mansur 
that there would be a significant change. Mansur ruled the Sultanate from 1578 to 1603. He led diplomatic meetings with the Ottomans that established Morocco as the only country in North Africa to remain fully independent from the Turks. This came at a very high price, though, because extreme amount of taxes would need to be paid from Morocco to the Ottomans in order to avoid being conquered. Following this, there was the establishment of the Alawi dynasty. They took power in Morocco in 1631, and they have been the ruling dynastic family here ever since. The reason for the widespread support to them is their claim to be direct descendants of the Prophet Muhammad. This goes back to the earlier leader I mentioned that was a descendant of Muhammad's grandson. And because of the fact that this dynasty is still in power today, they are the second oldest ruling dynasty in the entire world. In 1672, we get the influence of Ismail ibn Sharif. Sharif launched numerous military campaigns to expand Morocco's territory and consolidate its borders. He conducted successful military expeditions against rival states in North Africa and against Spanish-held regions that Morocco wanted to challenge. Sharif was a prolific builder overseeing the construction of numerous architectural projects that he built in his nearly 50-year reign of power. He is particularly known for his ambitious building projects in the city of Meknes, where he established his capital. Sharif's architectural legacy includes the construction of palaces, fortifications, mosques, and other great public works. On top of this, his achievements were backed by the Black Guard, which was a massive army of enslaved black Africans that he used to enforce his will or have things done across the nation. Sharif is widely considered one of the most influential and successful leaders of Morocco during this period, but as per usual, a great leader was followed by instability. The sons of Ibn Sharif waged a civil war to gain control of the kingdom once their father died. Mohammed III was the man to rise to power. He ruled from 1775 to 1790. Mohammed III made Morocco the first country in the world to recognize the independence of the newborn United States of America. This was solidified with the Moroccan-American Treaty of Friendship, which was signed in 1777, making it the longest friendship treaty in the entire world. The 1800s were tense for Morocco because they saw the advancement of France across North Africa. In 1844, Morocco preemptively attacked French forces after Algeria fell into French control. This directly began the Franco-Moroccan War. The French used their base in Algeria to win the war within a year. French influence would start to creep into the land, and then you would also see the influence of another European power. The Hispano-Moroccan War broke out from 1859 to 1860. Spain owned the cities called Ceuta and Melilla in Morocco. They are on the northern coast of Morocco. Berber warriors continuously attacked these cities in the 1840s and 50s, so Spain declared war. Because of this war, Spain established them as permanent territories in Morocco after handing Morocco a harsh defeat. To this very day, Spain still claims the two aforementioned cities. Then in 1911, there was the Agadir Crisis. It occurred in 1911. Morocco was experiencing internal unrest and a rebellion against French colonial rule. German leaders saw an opportunity to exploit the situation to challenge French dominance in the region and assert German interests in North Africa. In July, 5th, in July of 1911, the German gunboat Panther was dispatched to the Moroccan port city of Agadir, ostensibly to protect German citizens and interests in the region. This move was interpreted by France and many other Western European powers as a provocative act of aggression. This crisis brought Europe onto the brink of war as both sides mobilized their military forces and engaged in saber-rattling, which is similar to firing warning shots, but it was a whole lot of pointing swords and saying, all right, who's going to make a move? 
But in the end, the crisis was ultimately resolved through the diplomatic negotiations that happened in November of 1911. France and Germany reached an agreement known as the Treaty of Fez. Under the terms of the treaty, Germany recognized French control over Morocco, but in exchange, France would recognize territorial control in Central Africa owned by Germany. The end of the crisis named the north and south of Morocco territories of Spain alongside the Western Sahara and firmly established the control of France in central Morocco. And it's pretty much France has 80 to 90 percent of the land. It's just like the northern and southern cap belong to Spain. And then the Western Sahara region, which was Spanish Sahara at the time, was to remain Spanish. A very significant leader rose up in the 1920s. His name was Abd el Krim. He was a he was an Amazir tribe leader that started a revolt in 1921. The support for the rebellion and the opposition to French rule is what started the Rif War, which was fought from 1921 to 1926. The Battle of Anol was a great victory for the Moroccans, where they defeated about 20,000 Spanish soldiers who attempted to repress their freedom movement. However, El Karim and his men ordered the execution of all prisoners. General Damaso Berenger of Spain was sent to bring the vengeful hammer down against them. Berenger employed chemical weapon warfare across the nation. France then stepped in and ended the war in support of Spain. Krim was arrested and then exiled. And then we saw World War II. The Axis powers expanded control across North Africa to use it as a wide base of operations. American forces arrived in Morocco to eliminate the Axis powers. After this was achieved, the Casablanca Conference occurred. And at this conference, FDR, the president of the United States at the time, advocated for the end of French rule in Morocco. Despite this, French rule continued in Morocco after the end of the war. Spanish rule was limited to only northern and southern cities, therefore the country was administered by France. It would be in the midst of the war that the Istiklal Independence Party was established in 1944 to move Morocco towards independence. The party was political and non-militaristic, so they staged negotiations and petitioned to bring independence to them. They were supported by the Sultan Mohammed V. The party released a manifesto of their beliefs, and in response, the French forces arrested all leaders of the party. There was a protest in 1952 that the French handled by killing hundreds of innocent people. By December of this year, continued riots resulted in the ban of the Istiklal party and Sultan Mohammed V being exiled to Madagascar. After he was exiled, there was a lot of resistance from the Moroccans through riots and what the opposition called terrorist acts. Spain and France did not want to deal with this any longer and realized that they would not win against this huge Moroccan force, which meant the independence of Morocco was achieved. It was officially established in 1956. The new nation officially became the Kingdom of Morocco as a constitutional monarchy. Mohammed V returned from exile to become the first monarch. He was met with praise and joy because the people saw him as both a political and religious leader. The 60s and 80s were known as the years of lead period. Following Morocco's independence from French and Spanish colonial rule in 1956, the country faced significant political instability and challenges in establishing a stable government. The early years of independence were marked by power struggles, some attempted coups, and a lot of unrest. King Hassan II, who ruled Morocco from 1961 to 1999, after he succeeded Mohammed V, wielded authoritarian control over the country. His reign was characterized by a centralized and, rep and repressive regime that suppressed political dissent, marginalized opposition groups, and restricted civil liberties. Opposition parties, including leftist and nationalist groups, faced harsh repression by the government. Political dissent was met with censorship, imprisonment, torture, and many forced killings. The regime used a combination of security forces, secret police, and military intelligence to maintain a tight grip on power. The term Years of lead refers to the saying ruled with an iron fist because it was impossible to struggle against this because you would simply be eliminated. 
Then there was the Sand War, which was fought against Algeria because Morocco claimed land in the western provinces. To give you some context, France had previously marked the regions of Bashar and Timbuf, which are in western Algeria, as Moroccan, but demarcated the area after battling Morocco in the Independence War. Minerals were discovered here in 1950, and Morocco was offered a joint administration over the region as long as it cooperated with France. Morocco did not want to do this because they saw that their neighbor, Algeria, was fighting for independence against France, and Morocco didn't want to make an enemy out of Algeria as it already had to fight France. Both Algeria and Morocco agreed that after Algerian independence was achieved, there would be a discussion about how to handle the provinces. But once this happened, the leadership of Algeria changed its mind. In 1962, there was a conference between Morocco and Algeria, and it seemed Algeria had pulled a 180. No longer would Algeria entertain the idea of giving the provinces away to Morocco. This caused mistrust between the two nations, which brewed into the Sand War from 1963 to 1964. The war was hot fought, but Morocco had to sue for peace after failing to advance into the area. And that has been the basis for a lot of issues with Algeria that still remain today. But that's not all. Western Sahara is a region south of Morocco that has its own indigenous people group called the Sahrawi. Spain claimed the land during the colonial period and held it until the 1970s, as the colony Spanish Sahara. Once Spain withdrew, Mauritania, the country, and Morocco got into a conflict over who would control the nation. In 1975, Morocco sent 300,000 protesters into Western Sahara in support of Moroccan rule. Mauritania relented and gave up pursuit of the territory by 1980. In this land, the Western Sahara, there is the Polisario Front, which is a, a Sahrawi resistance group that rejects all foreign rule, including Moroccan and formerly Spanish. The front is supported by Algeria and has carved out the eastern part of Western Sahara as a de facto state called the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. Since the 1980s, Morocco has attempted to build an 1,800 mile long sand wall to divide the rebelous eastern region from the rest of Western Sahara so that Morocco could keep control of it. Algeria heavily disputes this. The Sahrawi group definitely denies this, but Morocco does claim it. So I'll just give you some facts about Western Sahara is that it's actually the fifth most sparsely populated nation in the world. So that's why even if this land was officially recognized as Moroccan, it actually wouldn't change where the country is ranked as number 39 on the size of countries based on population. And because of the fact that Morocco continued to claim the land. There was clashes for decades with the Sahrawi, and it would not be until 1991 that a ceasefire was agreed upon and has somehow held firmly despite a lot of tensity ever since. In 2011, reforms came to the government. The Moroccan government enacted constitutional amendments in July 2011 that were approved through a referendum. These amendments aim to decentralize power, strengthen the role of political parties, and enhance the independence of the judiciary. They also included provisions to protect human rights, promote gender equality, and recognize the Amazir language as an official language alongside Arabic. The reforms sought to strengthen the role of elected institutions, particularly the parliament, by granting it more powers, which included the authority to appoint a prime minister. Previously, the king had significant exclusive authority over the land, but the reforms aimed to, at least on paper, shift some of this power to elected representatives. The reforms included provisions to enhance press freedom, and freedom of expression nationwide. But despite these reforms, the present monarch, King Mohammed VI, still has the final say in all political developments nationwide. He has complete control of the government and will do whatever it takes for him to get what he wants at the end of the day. So he doesn't face a lot of resistance because nobody is dumb enough to challenge the person with all the power. And then I want to bounce back to some things with the Algerian relations. They have continued to sour since the border dispute occurred. Morocco spent over $50 billion on the military from 2005 to 2015 just to keep up in the arms race against Algeria. 
Today, troops still occupy the tight border between these two nations, and tensions seem to be doing all but lessening. Also, any relations between the two countries are completely gone. The border is considered a hard line of do not pass, and there is no diplomatic ties between Algeria and Morocco at all. But with all that said, that gets us to the present, where Morocco has a medium level of development, which is a growing statistic mainly because of the tourism industry. Morocco is also developing its mining industry and then using that money to delve into different things. Morocco is developing its military, economy, and territorial claims in Africa because all of those are some of the largest on the continent. The Amazir have shaped this culture for millennia and now they finally have a state of their own to call home. But it has not come without deep struggle, a lot of harsh history, and a lot of conflict. But with that being said, that does get us to the end where I always like to do a takeaway or a mindset that you can get from the history and with Morocco that's going to be with Morocco that's going to be except the long term with Morocco that's going to be take the long road if you need to I say that with Morocco because the Amazir have inherited this land and lived in it for almost 5,000 years at this point and it's only been in the last few hundred years and since really the independence of Morocco that this land has really been its own Yes, there was the brief time where the Mauritania Kingdom existed, and there's been times where the Amazir have been free in Morocco, but the people here, and even though it's not just Amazir, have for ages tried to form their home, and it isn't until the independence came in 56 that you could really say Morocco is free. And no matter what that looked like, no matter how long it took, these people still persisted and tried to move forward until they got to the point where there is now the nation they earned for themselves. So I say you can learn from that, and specifically you can learn from how long it took. Listen, it's not going to take a thousand years for you to do anything because you just won't be around that long, but it can take weeks, months, years, decades for things to really work out the way you want them to, for your career to really get to that golden point where you're at the top of the industry. It takes time, it takes dedication, it takes all sorts of things, so don't give up. Whatever the situation is, no matter how dire it may seem, no matter how desperate you are for things to work out, you're going to need to accept that sometimes it might take a long time. I've been doing this podcast for two, almost three years now, and I still get a few views here and there, and it's decent, but this is by far not a career yet. But I will make it one, and I believe for myself, and I try to practice what I preach, that the continued amount of time that I do this, the longer I continue to persist and chip away at this goal, the more likely that it will happen. So... I think you should take that and look at the history of Morocco and then kind of take it in with yourself and say, all right, well, if I don't have what I want yet, it's just a matter of time. I just need to keep showing up and it may not happen today or tomorrow and it may happen 10 years from now, but it will happen. So just keep pushing forward, keep trying to figure it out and be like Morocco, play the long game and one day you'll get what you want. So with that being said, that is going to be the very, very end where I just want to say goodbye. Morocco is a very unique country, has a deep cultural connection to this region and it's just so significant. So I'm very glad you guys got to come here. I'm very glad I got to do this one. I do thank you for the time you've given me. So with all that being said, I'm going to sign off and say one last time, my name is Reese Karolinski. This is Young History, and that was episode 158 on Morocco. You guys have a good one.